Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 57. It's the Heinz Ketchup episode. 57 flavors, right? I've only seen three personally, but I believe the rumors. <clears throat> and, of course, we have a special guest. We, we kind of teased it last week, if you guys are paying attention. My brother is on. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I didn't realize this was number 57, actually, which is interesting because back when I was in art school, there was a period where people called me 57 because I worked in the school, or the uh, dorm office from five to seven, three days a week. <laughs> what, what an obscure reference. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so. It's, I think it's going to get worse from here. Probably, yeah. It's going to go straight oh, no, down. Oh, just, just Oh, I mean better. Yeah. By worse, he means better. Yeah. We Yo, say the opposite thing all the time here. Speaking of which, Anthony, what is your dominant skill set? Well, my dominant skill is oil painting. So I've been painting with oils for 30 years. Okay. And if you had to hazard a guess, what skill class is oil painting? I would say it's about an eight, but uh, it's harder than people think in some ways, but easier than people think in other ways. So somewhere right around number eight. Okay. Well, eight's fair. You know, takes takes some skill, which is what we're going to talk about. Moving into our history and fun facts. So did you do any research uh, on oil painting for us? Yeah, I, there were some things I kind of knew about already. I just looked into them a little bit more, though. But, um, you know, one thing I looked up just to get some more specifics is a color called mummy brown. So this is a color that is actually made of real mummies which is just as gross as it sounds. They just took mummies a long time ago from ancient Egypt and they ground them up and stuck them in tubes and artists made paintings with them. Wait, That's so pretty gross. hold on. So they're taking mummies and they're squeezing them into tubes. So that does that mean that they're like re-mummified? Like, like refried beans? Like they're, they've been mummied twice? Uh, I think, I, I guess you could look at it as uh, them being reborn as a painting, but they weren't really squeezed. I mean, mummies are pretty stiff, so you got to ground them up. Mm. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of tube uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I have heard of that also. So, but, okay, so they're, they're dry and then they go moist, so they're actually rehydrated mummies. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there was any specific... No, they're ground up. It says, uh, it says, ground up remains of ancient Egyptian mummies, both human and feline. Yeah, they mummified uh, animals too, not just people. But there was just tons of mummies back in old ancient Egypt. It wasn't just, you know, pharaohs and things. That's that's what would do it for me. If, if I, I can't have a, a mixed medium of cat and human, I would have to have strictly one or the other. Otherwise, how am I going to know how to use that paint color? Well, there's, I mean... Mummies have a kind of whole weird history of just other things, too, where it was used. People thought that it would cure certain ailments, so they were rubbing it on their skin and all kinds of other gross stuff, like, you know, eating it or drinking it. But uh, it was always kind of weird. I mean, we look at it today probably differently than they did back in the 1600s or 1800s, but I think it was still kind of opposed by a lot of people even then. So the last time anyone was using it was uh, the company that used to make it stopped around uh 1964 they finally admitted that there was no more and uh here's just a quote we might have a few odd limbs lying around somewhere but not enough to make any more paint we sold our last complete <laughs> mummy some years ago for three pounds i think <laughs> so 
Oh my god. It's kind of Good surprising Lord. it was even still being made at that point. You can still get Mummy Brown today, but it's not actually made of mummies. I know one place where you can get it. But it was something <laughs> it's just, today it's just ground up mannequins. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so there's a there's a black market for Mummy Brown that you gotta you gotta go to like some some shifty art dealer with a trench coat on to get it? Clearly it's a brown market. Well, no, this is a legitimate place now. Yeah, back in the old days, I don't know what they did exactly is how uh, on the level it was. But today you can get real, well, it's not real mummy brown, but you can get mummy brown that's legal. That's not really made with mummies. Probably all made of cats. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that, that um, I'm almost, I'm willing to bet money is way more research and definitely more interesting than whatever Tom came up with. Tom, yeah. what kind of research did you do on oil painting? I've got 25 fun facts about oil painting. Are you ready? No way. No way. (laughs) Shut the front door. Yeah, ready? Uh, Number one, oil painting is toxic. (laughs) Number two, oil paint smells bad. Number three, oil painting is difficult. You need to use a medium. You need a lot of gear. You must use oil painting brushes. You must paint on canvas. Don't use black. <laughs> Water-soluble oil paints are not really oil paints. Uh, I, I, have, hold on just a second. Hold on. Have you have you figured it out yet? I think I know. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be figuring out, but um, Anthony, um, have you ever referred to any of your stuff as gear? No. Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, my keyboard and some of my audio equipment, but not my painting things. Yeah. I think I know what this list is that Tom is reading, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What what is the list? I think it's all uh, common beliefs that are not actually true. Yes, twenty five oil painting myths. Excellent. Well done. You I think you got it on like number two, yeah. maybe even number one. You kinda smirked and you're like, Oh, it's not toxic. Oh, it doesn't smell at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean I, I actually read well, most of these. Everybody is eating paint. There I read most of these and it was kinda interesting. I didn't I actually learned a lot. Uh that I didn't know. Yeah, there definitely are a lot of common misbeliefs or, um, you know, just things that people think about oil paint that it's not true. I mean, there's like maybe some truth to it, but, you know, like the whole thing with it being toxic, you can paint with oil paints and you, there's colors that you can use that are totally safe. I mean, there's literally lots of colors. They're, they're called earth tones or, you know, whatever. Um, they're literally just dirt that are, you know, they're dug up from either Italy or France or different places where the dirt is different colors. And then they just stick it in a tube and, mm-hmm. you know, add linseed oil and whatever things are going to go in there aside from that. And, you know, it's just dirt. But there are other colors that are toxic. So, you know, there's some truth to it, but it's... Yeah, it's a, it does say it does say some colored pigments are toxic. Uh, and check the label. Hello. Such as cadmium and cobalt. Right. But it, it does it does go on to talk about how oil painting is actually very easy and accessible not easy to paint or draw or artistic ability, but it's it's a pretty low entry uh, cost of entry. So I found that to be fascinating. Well, I guess um, low cost of entry, as in like anyone could do it, kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Like you could you could get started without uh, a huge investment in in gear. Oh, okay. Monetary <laughs> cost then. Yeah. Really, you can. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like how anybody in the United States could buy a gun, but people really can't hit anything they're shooting. That that's that's what it means. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, there are. That's exactly what it means. Well done. There are some kits you can get that are 
some of them are made for kids basically and they're these teeny little tiny tubes and you may get like 30 or 40 colors in the kit and you know they'll have different names on them that'll say a color that you've heard before but god knows what's actually in it because here's one of the things that's interesting about paint you know you know artist oil paints or i guess other ones you know acrylics maybe too is that it's not really regulated so you can call something whatever you want and it's not going to be you know there's no uh labeling association that's going to get you in trouble if it's not actually you know what it says on the label so it's kind of like organic versus usda certified organic you know, you can really write anything as organic that you want in a package, but if it's, you know, whether it's really organic or not, it depends on, you know, if it was certified. So, so I could buy organic oil paint and it wouldn't be real mummies. I'm not going to comment on that, but that's possible. Oh man. I was hoping that it would be totally organic. If I buy mummy paint, I, I want it to be organic. Well, it is true that mummies used to be humans, which have organs. So, you know, that's a different thing. Yeah. So, oh, and look at this, uh, eBay mummy, real mummy to $4,000. Oh, <clears throat> I'm going to have to look at this after the show. Never mind. Uh, what, what were you saying? Yeah. So as far as uh, paint labels go, basically they can, a lot of the time, if it's a, a color that looks like an actual pigment, but it's not that same pigment, it'll say hue after it, which means different things in other kind of contexts. You, know, you can have hues with oil paints and also acrylics or other paints too, I guess, but... Definitely with oil paints, hues are basically, this looks like that color, but it's not really made of that thing. So is, is this common. in any way related to Hugh Grant? Possibly. All right. I, I just wanted to establish that connection. I mean, he was Mickey Blue Eyes. I don't know exactly what color they used to make his eyes, but there could be some kind of connection there. Uh, obviously, eyeball blue. What other color would you use? Well, um, unless it's not really made from eyeballs, and then it's just blue hue. Mm. Oh, I think yeah. I'm following now. Yeah, yeah. the so plot thickens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tanda, what kind of research did you do on oil painting? I, I did no research on oil painting. Like the probably the biggest oil painting I've done, I was able to uh, to pretty much clean up with some kitty litter. But, uh, uh, okay, it was it was on the driveway and. Yeah, it was just the pan wasn't underneath properly, and that's that's okay, Tanda. I have more research for you. Oh, uh, yeah. These are actual fun facts. Yeah, I'll fill in for Tanda. Twofer. This means I'm not going to do research for at least six months. What is happening? Uh, did I don't know. I googled two things. I clicked two links, and I, it was fascinating. Uh, I'll just read a couple of PJ, these. But... Uh, sidebar. Yeah, Tanda. Is this really Tom? I, I'm halfway wondering if this is like one of the signs of the apocalypse. I think this is a deep fake. I think yeah. we've been deep faked. I think I, this I, is somebody else that actually does their research and they're like, it looks like Tom. It looks like Tom's garage, but every once in a while I see a little glitch. So like when he comes back, look at his left eye. Every once in a while it just goes away and then comes back. You know, uh, I didn't want to say anything, but he does have a brother. You know? Oh, Remember, he talks about him every once in a while. He talks about his brother and how his brother doesn't believe in what he's doing, and he's always questioning him, and he's very, very thorough and methodical. This kind of sounds like the brother, you know? Yeah, I could could be. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be ironic? Yeah. It'd be believable. I don't, I don't actually know if— Or would that be coincidental but not ironic? If it's not his yeah. brother, I don't know what's happening. Oh, look, he's, he's glitching back in. Oh, oh. What fact was that, Tom? Yeah, so 
Uh, yeah, oil paints don't dry, ever. Instead, they harden due to oxidation. Wow, I can't say that word. Oxidation, usually in about two weeks, and are ready to be varnished in roughly six months. However, sometimes it takes years for an oil painting to fully harden. I didn't know that either. Of course, oil doesn't dry. It's oil. Sometimes, sometimes you use that if you need to dehorn an ox. Yeah. Use what? Oxidation. Ox- oxidation. Yeah. Perfect. It keeps them from getting too rowdy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is yeah. a whole thing with oil paint where, which it's kind of the opposite of if you compare to acrylics. You know, acrylics are made with water, and then the water evaporates, and then they shrink when this happens a little bit where oil paint actually expands when it oxidizes because it's combining with oxygen molecules, which takes a really long time. And also acrylics dry from uh, the inside out, whereas oil paint dries on the surface first and then inside after that. So, Whoa. Um, so if, so if you were to paint both onto a canvas, would one curl inwards and one curl outwards if you just did nothing with it? If you were to paint, say that again. <laughs> if if you painted with oil on a canvas and just left it sitting out, would it like bend with the painting outward, and acrylic would bend with the painting inward? Well, if you were using a good support, it shouldn't be bending any direction. No, no. no support. Yeah, like oh. not a stretch like, like canvas. Like if you just cleaned your brushes on a paper or something, oh, would okay. one curl one way and one the other? Even, even was, white paper. That could actually happen. I did um, I did a test on um, some white paint years ago where I just put a bunch of it out on a piece of thin plastic, basically like saran wrap, and it did kind of curl upwards on the side, which kind of defeated the purpose of what I was trying to do, which was just test how strong it was. But um, you know, it wasn't very scientific. As far as how it would dry in that kind of case, I'm not totally sure. I mean, like there's the test I was just talking about that I did, but I don't know if it would do that with every color. But definitely um, with oil paints, you know, one of the mistakes people make a lot of the time that are kind of new to it is they'll just let it dry and after a couple weeks say, okay, I can just varnish it now. And if you do that, then there's a good chance that you'll get something happening, which I, I forget what they call it. It's like the word sounds like blossom or something where there's this kind of cloudiness that shows up because the paint is not really dry, even though it feels touch dry. And so you have to wait six months or if you paint very thick, as long as maybe even a year before you can varnish it because you'll get this, you know, kind of cloudy thing happening and then you'll have to just clean it off and do the varnish all over again. You can clean it off? Well, varnish is... You can is, clean the varnish off the... Right. Varnish is actually always temporary. You know, it may stay on there for hundreds of years, but it's always intended to be temporary because it's not really part of the of the painting. It's just kind of a thing going on top of the painting that's there to protect it. You know, there's lots of things I could say about varnish too. Uh, some people are still using something called Damar, which is a very old varnish, which is not the best varnish at this point in history because it's yellow and it's very strong. It's kind of difficult to remove, but there are other more modern ones that are easier to remove and are also water clear. So sounds like your cat is digging to China. Yeah, she just got in the mood to start scratching. So I'm trying to find something to throw at her to get her to stop. Find find us some mummy brown. Oh. That, that'll that do Here, it. Here, I have yeah. something. There you go. So, yeah. so what did you find, PJ? Since Tom Tom did mine in his research. Well, I looked up superstitions for oil painting. Didn't think I was going to find anything, but I did find two things. 
uh, there are superstitious artists, famous artists. Uh, Salvador Dali uh, considered himself to be very superstitious and carried around a piece of Spanish driftwood to help him ward off evil spirits. Anybody know that? Yeah, I haven't heard thing. that, but Weird. I'll give you a caveat about Salvador Dali. His wife kind of pushed him to, like all those little things he's known for doing that were kind of um, just weird and people would like look at him and say, oh, he's the silly artist. Uh, apparently his wife kind of encouraged him to do that kind of stuff more often because he saw she saw that people reacted to it. And so it's hard to know exactly how much of that is really, you know, what he was doing because that's what he needed to do versus just he knew people would find it interesting. Well, speaking of interesting, uh, he nearly suffocated once while giving a lecture in a diving bell helmet and suit. Hmm. Hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, I don't know if his wife put him up to that, but that's that's a thing that happened. And then my second one here is Pablo Picasso uh, would not throw away his old clothes, hair trimmings, or fingernail clippings for fear that it would mean losing part of his essence. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, Picasso collected Picassos. At the time of his death, he owned around 50,000 of his own works. So did these go out into circulation among like art art dealers and enthusiasts and then he bought them back uh it doesn't say i i presume yeah that's interesting i mean i would think he just made them and then kept them yeah could he just keep making them well that's yeah that's less interesting i could i could do that <laughs> yeah i know i know <laughs> yeah, Fifty thousand's a lot but we're we're also talking about you know we're talking about a guy you know that that paints things and you know he's weird which is okay but that's what i found those are my fun facts. There was another thing I was uh, thinking I wanted to bring up that's not specific to painting necessarily, but it's a pigment. I don't know if you guys know about the history of arsenic as a dye. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it used to... As a dye? As a dye, it. yeah. It used to be used long ago as a dye in dresses and wallpaper and all kinds of different things until they realized how toxic it was. You know, some of the girls that were wearing these green dresses actually absorbed the arsenic through their skin and then died. And then they started wow. figuring out that there was a problem with it. There was a, a, a kind of belief for a long time that Napoleon actually died from his arsenic wallpaper. I've heard that. Yeah. I saw something when I was checking this out that it seems like at this point they've found that pretty conclusively he died of gastric cancer, but he did have a lot of arsenic in his hair samples that they studied, but people used to consume arsenic much more back then for different reasons. You know, they thought it would cure this or that, I guess. I think at this point, they're pretty sure it wasn't because of that. I mean, for some reason, this reminds me of a meme I saw the other day, and it's like this guy in the back of a classroom yelling, and it said, stop changing the flavors of Coca-Cola unless you're going to put the cocaine back in. <laughs> That's that's kind of how I feel about what you just said. We use arsenic regularly where I work. Oh, really? Yeah. For what? It's 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 pretty common semiconductor oh. material. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we have all kinds of unusual unusual things in our everyday computer chips and solar cells and stuff. Any mummies? Yeah, we use mummy brown pretty regularly. I should have seen that coming. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. I have one dealer's corner for you, which is actually kind of like two. But I'm surprised that I even found it. I thought we were going to introduce a brand new segment this week because I didn't expect to have any deals. Tom and Tanda don't have any, and neither does Anthony. 
but this is called the Maker Metal Managing. And this is mainly due to Rich over at Back Into Service who infected me with his metal drawer obsession. And uh, I've been trying to organize my shop, so I went looking for metal drawers, like metal cabinets, metal shelving units, anything that had, you know, like tool storage that was metal. And uh, I found this is super ironic. So I found two different listings on Facebook Marketplace, and they ended up being two miles from one another, but both of them were an hour away from me. So I went to one place, and then I drove five minutes to the other place. It was literally down the street, totally unrelated. But I was like... That's convenient. Yeah, super convenient. So the first thing was, uh, I, I first I... I pull up and into the driveway and it's like this house on a hill but like a farm almost and there's a line of trucks like I was truck number five in this driveway that was probably like 200 feet long and there's people like zipping all over the place like it's a fire sale and I'm like what is happening because they didn't say anything they just said come and pick the thing up and I get there and I'm like I'm I'm here for the the metal drawers and I'm guessing the wife is like, oh, oh, this is here. This is what you want. And she brings me over to this this like full-on cabinet on a dolly that's gigantic. And I'm like, I, I don't think I'm here for that. <laughs> I said, I'm looking for something a lot smaller. Uh, the one that I got was actually 32 inches wide by oh, – it's 32 and three-quarter by 10 and three-quarter by 11 and a half. I don't know what whoever made this thing had against whole inches, but nothing was a whole inch. And it was an 18-drawer shelf-style, like, horizontal metal drawer unit. Real quick, PJ. Yeah. When you get a chance, go measure that again and see how much of a bend, how much it bends over to the next one. I bet you it's a foot. Hmm. Possibly. If you add in the flange. I was going to say maybe it's metric. Could be European or something. It's possible. All those things are possible. But anyway, uh, they originally wanted 30. Uh, I offered 25, and they were like, sure. So I was like, all right, cool. So I got that, and there was – I wish they had been more communicative. I got there, and they had like 10 other standing metal drawer units that were full size, but they were all promised to other people. And like three of them had like cool Art Deco handles – and I'm like, man, I could pretend to be somebody else. <laughs> but I, I just, um, I, I left because I had to go to the second place. And the second place, the, the guy had a Hobart Cabinet Co. It's a, it's a, like a stand-up, like filing cabinet almost that was uh, 18 inches by 23 inches by 53 and a half. And it was a 10-drawer all-metal cabinet. And the guy had it listed for 20 bucks. And I had set up the time to meet with him days before, and he messaged me, and he's like, are you are you still coming? Are you sure you want one of them? And I said, what what do you mean by one of them? Is there more than one? And he said, oh, yeah, there's two. And I'm like, I'll take both. <laughs> so for 40 bucks, I got two big cabinets, and I get the – and he, I, he I, of course, I'm like, do you have any other tools? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got a lot of tools. So I get there, and it's like this guy and his father – and there's like a three-car garage full of tools. 
And I'm like, okay, there's, there's some possibilities here. He's got like blacksmith tools. He's got hand tools. He's got power tools. And he's got like a big skill angle grinder that's got like a nine inch disc on it. And I'm like, how much for that angle grinder? He goes, oh, that's 65 bucks. And I'm like, that, that's a little out of my price range. He goes, that was 150 bucks 40 years ago. And I'm like, I, I believe you, but I, I can't, I can't pay that much. And he's like, all right, I got, I got blacksmith tongs over here. I'm like, okay, well, how much are the blacksmith tongs? 25 bucks. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for deals. I'm, I'm here for deals. That's why I'm taking the <laughs> drawers because they're deals. Are, are anything here deals? Well, what else you want? I find a vice that's mounted to the workbench. It's a Colombian and it's little, it's three inch. And I said, how about this vice here? And he's looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And I'm like, okay, you weren't planning on selling that, were you? Oh, I didn't think anybody would want it. Okay, and exactly how much do you want for it? Oh, I'd got to get at least like a hundred. <laughs> no, no, it's a little three-inch vice. I can't, I can't do a hundred. So all I left with was the drawers. I found it very interesting, and, and oh, the other place had tons of tools. Also, there was tools everywhere, and it was, it was, it was like a, like I said, like a mad rush. So I found it interesting that I went to both these places, and the only deals were on the drawers. Everything else was overpriced. There was that. And that's, those are my deals. That's what I found. I, I think you should just wander up to sit, you know, if you see somebody that has some interesting stuff sitting out front of their house or whatever, if you're already there, you've already driven an hour away, you should just walk up to a few random houses and just be like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here to take a look at that thing you had listed. <laughs> and and <laughs> like, like five or 10 houses in, someone's going to be like, oh, I didn't have any listings, but I've got this junk out here in the garage <laughs> and, and you're going to walk away with something. So I, I probably should have done that. But those three things filled the back of my truck. Like I, there was no more room. They were they were just so big, and I needed to be able to close the flat cap because then I had to go um, grocery shopping, and I didn't want anybody to steal my stuff. You could have put your groceries in the drawers. Well, yeah, but I could do that after I've left, and then I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't want anybody to take my drawers while I was in the grocery store. That's that's. Yeah. What were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Anthony, you're a guest, you get to go first. What is your personal history with oil painting? Well, I started a long time ago at a after school kind of a thing, not, not like an after school special, after school sort of thing, but a little uh, place I went to take classes after I was done with regular school and the, I still remember the first oil painting I was doing. The, the teacher didn't really <laughs> explain a whole lot to me, and she just kind of gave me the paint and said, here you go. And so then I tried starting to uh, mix some water in with the paint, and it started beating up the way water does when you mix it with oil. And I was like, I think there's something wrong with this paint. You know, <laughs> so I started, uh, <laughs> and eventually I learned, you know, you can't add water to oil paint. But then, you know, I did some things in high school, and I uh, was really a long time ago into like, you know, covers for sci-fi and fantasy books. And I used to just go to the bookstore and look at all the different, you know, artists work that, you know, were on those books. And I kind of got to the point where I knew who did what just by looking at the style. And that was my plan for a long time. But then eventually I went to art school and I kind of decided I didn't really want to paint other people's ideas anymore. So, you know, I did art school, uh, you know, majored in oil painting. And I wasn't totally sure what to do when I got out because I kind of 
was interested in painting and, and selling in galleries, but there really, it seemed like 20 years ago, there wasn't really as much of a scene for, uh, for realism. So I think that's changing a little bit. It seems like more and more realism is kind of coming back. And, uh, you know, we're, we're close to New York City, so I know a lot of New York artists and they're like, you know, um, you know, showing and selling and uh, supporting themselves with their art. So that's really nice. But, you know, at this point, I don't know, <laughs> I might have done some things different if I knew that things would be where they are now. Uh, as far as realism goes. But, you know, after I got out of art school, I went and I worked uh, at our dad's place doing t-shirts for a little while. But, um, you know, I've always been into doing a lot of details in my work and you, you can't really do too many detailed things with silkscreen, at least traditional silkscreen design. So I just did that for a little while until I ended up working at a Wegmans, which is a high-end grocery store. And uh, I went and... Not sponsored. No, definitely not. And I don't, and I and, don't and recommend, I them. recommend them. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I really do recommend them. Wegmans is fantastic. Continue. Yeah, so they have a sign shop in each store where there's handmade signs that the artist works on for different specials happening or promotions they're doing. And I'm not sure if they actually do this for all of them, but um, it seems like at least at that point there was. And so I almost didn't even apply for the job because it was just a little ad that said chalkboard artist and then like a phone number. So I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but let me find out. And so I went and we did most of the work on chalkboards and, you know, we did a lot of things with paint markers. You know, there's lots of different colors that you could use that were really nice. And uh, we did all kinds of stuff for like a special on lobster or, you know, we do bigger things out of gator board, you know, cut out things that were a little bit more involved or, you know, they really wanted to like highlight in the store. And so I did that kind of stuff for like five years. Then I decided I wanted to kind of get back to, you know, what the things that I was really interested in doing on my own, like my own kind of paintings and stuff. So I started uh, looking for work doing portraits. Oh, actually, well, I guess before that, I actually uh, ended up working at a graphic design studio for a couple of years. So I was a studio assistant there and we had, you know, lots of big names like Revlon and, you know, M&Ms and things like that. We did packaging or, or displays like you know, displays for the things to go on, that kind of thing. So I uh, learned a lot there. Uh, got better at Photoshop and got some interesting experience as far as just seeing how a graphic design studio works and all that kind of thing. And then after that, I was going back into portraits and stuff like that. So I did some work doing portraits of people and, you know, uh, dogs, houses, and I did them in pen or uh, in oil paint. Then nine years ago, I started getting into live event painting, which is where you go to a wedding and you do a live painting uh, that people can watch that are there as guests and they can come over and check it out and it's kind of added enter entertainment. So everybody always loves that and it's a really unique thing. So uh, I was doing that all this time and I'm not accepting any new paintings at this point on uh, live event paintings. I still have some to finish that I had done events for recently, but now I'm getting back into, again, my own paintings and like uh, working towards doing my own non-commission work. But in the last couple of years, I've been doing online lessons, which has been going extremely well. And, uh, you know, I teach drawing and painting to students online. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of concerned, like, how does that work? Like, is it as good as in person? And I'd say, you know, a lot of things are really very similar to doing it in person. So, you know, I've been able to really get a lot of people to get, you know, really great results. And, you know, I've, I've had students as young as seven years old that have done really cool stuff that sometimes even surprise me. So, you know, that's really cool. And I like just teaching. I have, you know, all different types of students. My oldest student is 66. So, you know, that's really nice as a new thing that I've been doing lately also. So that's pretty much where I'm at this point. You know, I don't, I, my, like I, my main skill is oil painting, but there are plenty of times where I'm not uh, painting for a while because as 
you know, a full-time artist, there's lots of things you need to do aside from, you know, painting or whatever your actual, you know, um, specific medium is. That's basically where I'm at. That's, I think a lot of people who are, who are makers or who are crafts people probably can identify with that same thing of, Mm -hmm. of commission work versus what you want to do. And oftentimes, you know, they're kind of mutually exclusive because unless you become really well known, what you want to do doesn't necessarily, you know, provide enough income. And so then you mm-hmm. work on commissions, but kind of get to a point where you're tired of working on commissions and you go back to your own thing and then you, you know, fall into some more commissions or something. And I think, I mean, I've certainly done that and certainly not with any kind of art, but just in general with making things where, you know, the people who, who pay you for things don't necessarily want, have your vision, but mm. you have to execute on their vision. And then anytime you start doing that, you miss getting to do your own thing. It's really a common thing with artists in general, but I think it's really tough. See, there's, there's, there's a buyer out there for just about anything. I mean, it's kind of common knowledge now that there was a banana that sold for a quarter million dollars at Art, Art Basel two, three years ago. It was just a banana. It wasn't even a painting of a banana. It was just a banana taped to a wall. So really, if that's flying, then you know, no matter what you're making out there, there's somebody that will buy it. It's just a matter of finding them and you know, getting in front of them and in some cases maybe pricing your work at a level that you know they can afford. Right. But you know, really there's there's a very fine line, definitely for painting, but I think, you know, for lots of things, you know, creative things, where even if you're making your own work that's not commission, you know, you, there's that kind of line of making something that you love, but that also there's going to be enough of an audience that wants to buy it or appreciate it. So I think it's really important, you know, you know, all the artists that you look at today, like Van Gogh and like all, all these big names that have a really um, big following, you know, artists that are mostly dead at this point. Um, you know, they all had a very unique looking style and you can tell right away when you see one of their paintings and they weren't making it specifically to sell it. You know, they were just doing it like, especially Van Gogh, he sold one painting in his whole life. He did it because he just loved it so much. So there's always that fine line of doing what you want to do, but also, you know, considering like, okay, how easy is it going to be to sell this? And, you know, sometimes that's just a matter of getting enough of uh, an audience and people to know who you are. But, you know, there are maybe times where maybe there's not a huge demand, even if people knew who you are. So that can be kind of tricky. Yeah, we definitely live in a unique time where we have access to that long tail of people that, you know, a few items, but you can find the people who are interested. And historically, we know, you know, you couldn't do that. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Well, really, art is in such a strange place now, because, you know, every two, three years, there's another you know, Christie's auction or something like that, where there's a new most expensive ever painting sold. I think at this point, I think the record might be 350 million or something. Might've been that Leonardo, the Salvador Mundi, that there's a little bit of a dispute of whether it's actually legitimate or not. But I think that might've been the last one, but you know, there's probably been one or two I don't even know about that have topped it at this point. So art at this point in history is being treated as sort of a commodity. And there's even... You know, for oil painting specifically, there's some people that say that it's a way for rich people to sort of hide their money and not have to pay taxes on it. They just, you know, buy a painting for a huge amount of money, keep it for a while, and then, you know, just flip it basically a few years later. So I think there is something to that, especially when looking at the banana example. But, 
you know, who knows what's really going on when you get to that level of just, you know, extremely high cost for what's selling. Right. I, I want to point something out. Um, we didn't have my brother on just because he's my brother. If you go and take a look at Anthony's work, he is one of the best artists I know. His his attention to detail is second to none. And in fact, he, he kind of glanced over the fact that he does the event painting. He's like in the top three of event painters out there, but the other people that are doing it are nowhere near as good as him. They've just been doing it longer. So if you take a look at his work, uh, he did mention the the realism. Uh, I think that some of your work is actually hyper-realism. It's that kind of stuff that looks uh, better than you know photography, like when you use like a macro lens to look at something super detailed. And tell what's your average time uh, to complete a painting, like one of those event paintings? Well, thank you, PJ. An average time is kind of hard to say because it really, it varies. I mean, specifically for event painting, the most I ever spent was 560 hours, and which is about 300 hours too long. And then the shortest I've ever spent on an event painting, like the first one or two that I did, I was painting them much, much looser. So, which if you are not familiar with the term looser tight, it just basically means um, more painterly or where you can see the brush strokes more, that means more loose, or tight is more basically photographic. So the first couple I did were much looser and you know quicker. So I would say they probably took maybe 150 hours or something. So an average for the majority of the paintings I was doing was probably close to 400, you know, give or take 400 hours. Um, but then there's other paintings I've done, which are, you know, I can do, I just did one recently that was only five inches by seven inches of a kind of simple portrait, and I spent one day on that. So much less went into that, and it was a fairly simple composition. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's kind of the absolute farthest end of the spectrum compared to the event paintings, which are very, very involved in, you know, the way I do them anyway, complex, and there's a lot of elements going on. What's the physically largest event painting? I mean, do people that are commissioning, do they choose a, a size or... Yeah, well, 30 by 40 is the biggest I've done at this point, but I'm actually, there's somebody I'm talking to that wants one that's going to be about, I don't know, 36 by 47 or something like that, which is a little bit bigger. So that one actually is not going to be an event painting as in I'm painting at their wedding, but um, it's going to be from a photo. So it's of uh, the, the person I've been talking to and her husband. It's a photo from when they got married up in Alaska. So um, that will be the largest one. I guess you could say once I do that one. That's cool. Uh, just to piggyback on on PJ's praise, uh, when I looked up your website, which I just did again, which is eventpaintingsbyanthony.com, but if you look up Anthony Galati painting, you'll find it very quickly and easily. Right on, when you hit enter your website, the first two pictures of a, are of a, a wedding uh, with a couple. And when I first saw it, I thought it was a photograph and then a close-up of your like your painting was a, a zoomed in image of that and then i looked closer and they're both paintings yeah like i legitimate like obviously if you look at it you can see it's a painting right like that's like it just it's not a photograph photographs look different but i legitimately thought it was like here's the photo and i made a painting of the photo yeah <laughs> and i'm like oh they're both they're both paintings it's like that good though 
It really is that good. Mm. I hope that was a, all complimentary and I didn't say something stupid that actually is insulting <laughs> to a realistic painter. Uh, no, that You know was... how that can happen accidentally? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that actually has been a problem at times where in that period before I was doing event paintings, uh, when I was doing you know, portraits and things, I actually, I did a painting which I thought was fairly painterly and I made a magnet of it and I wrote, you know, portraits by Anthony and we stuck it on our car, but... Like everyone thought it was a photo anyway, so you know I never got anybody that called me about it. So, <laughs> right, that's awesome. Has has anybody ever received your painting and been like, "Oh, we could have just taken a photo and saved a bunch of money"? <laughs> no, I haven't had that happen, but I have had. So here's one of the things that I've done with my event paintings, which is I think unique uh, specifically to how I do it. I mean, really, like first of all. None of I, I know lots of other event painters. There's a Facebook group that you know one of them started or a couple of them started a couple of years ago, and so we're all like you know friends with each other. And if there's a date that opens up and you know somebody's busy, then they'll offer it up to everyone else. So you know, like I know basically like everybody else that's doing it in America and also in a few other countries. And no one paints like me when it comes to event paintings. And you know, I don't just mean that as like an ego thing or something, but no one, no one spends anywhere near as much time doing that stuff as me. Uh, most people are going to do it in maybe a day or a week or two, probably at most. So, um, you know, basically the faster you're doing the painting, the less realistic it's going to be. I mean, there's, you know, plenty of them that I know that are doing really cool stuff and, you know, very nice paintings and it works for their style and everything. Um, but... <laughs> Like I said, I'm not accepting any new ones. So uh, anyone that's thinking about event painting now, don't expect to see photorealistic work <laughs> out there if you're looking at anybody else. But yeah, aside from that, when I when I did all of my events, I always took the photos without a flash. Um, like I take a picture with a flash just because it's more clear, just so I could see the features and everything like that when I zoomed in. But the main picture I was relying on, or you know, multiples if I had to make a composite, were without a flash so so i was getting an image of the room as it actually looked whereas when you get a photographer pretty much all of them are going to use a flash whether it's attached to the camera or you know off to the side as a satellite or whatever and uh you know unless it's like maybe an event taking place outside in the daytime but uh, anything that's happening in a venue inside there's pretty much always going to be a flash and if you have a lot of uplighting you know like pink or some of these intense colors people have or amber the flash is totally going to change how everything looks. You know, it's not just the color, but the light source will change and it'll be coming from the side and it may not be as soft or, you know, that kind of thing. So several people have actually told me that my painting uh, brought them back to the day of their wedding much more than any of the photos do. Uh, and I think it's probably because of that, because um, it's, you know, probably none of them typically look exactly like things actually look that day, you know, when they get the photos back. Well, that's really interesting. Something... I think that's one of the... Oh, excuse me, something I hadn't thought of was that any flash photography is unrealistic in that it only looked that way for that instant mm -hmm. that the shutter was open. And so right. any, any photograph you take with a flash is not how anyone actually saw it. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. Yeah, and cameras nowadays are much better at, you know, doing low light than they used to be. But I feel like that's one place the camera industry probably can still catch up a little bit more. And, you know, if you can get to a point where you can actually take a picture with no flash ever needed in any situation, I think that would be a kind of a big leap because definitely, you know, these are, these are professional photographers, you know, they know how to use a camera and get clear photos, but, you know, pretty much always they're going to be using a photo. Um, they're going to be using a 
a flash with their photos indoors, especially if it's at night or if it's low lighting. Like there's one I just did a little while ago that was all candlelight. There was literally no lighting except for candles. So, you know, for a case like that, everyone needs to stay very still when I'm taking the photo so that it doesn't get any blurry, uh, blurred or, you know, too grainy or anything. Yeah, there's a little bit of a limit limitation mm. still with the technology at this point, but maybe they'll kind of figure that out soon. I have an iPhone 12. They did something to that phone where it, it does something with like uh, shadows and the dark dark tones and things. I have a lot of difficulty trying to get the flash to come on because the camera oh. is so good at taking pictures of stuff when it's like half dark and I want the flash and it I can't like it won't turn on. Right. It'll t- it'll do a timed exposure before it will do a flash. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what it's doing? It's it's doing a timed exposure and it does a little countdown based on what's going on, uh, based on the lighting, but it's using the stabilization so that you can handhold a long exposure. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. It, they're, it's yeah. very good is what it's I'm saying. The technology is, is getting better. I would say like what you're talking about, Anthony, probably in the next like three, four years, the professional cameras are going to be at that level. At the, yeah, at the basically be. the better than cell phone level, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's where it's at. Tom, did you have something yeah. you wanted to say? You were talking about the lighting, mm-hmm. as you were talking about the lighting, and that you try, you can kind of see what you're talking about in your paintings. Like they're not dark, but they're darker than a photograph. Like they're deeper, maybe is the better way to explain it. Yeah. Or the the darks are very dark. They're not lit up and popping uh, where there should be. Like I don't want to say shadow, but I don't know. Like there's a lot of rooms that are very much like there's very purple rooms and there's very yellow rooms and there's very red rooms and like there's deep reds and light reds. And like, I don't know. It's, it's as you were saying, like you try and reference a photo without a flash, you can almost see that. I Mm -hmm. I certainly would have picked that up on my own. I mean, in looking, in looking at scrolling back and forth now at his site, I, I got the same sense, the same feeling. It's like you can identify a photograph if you look closely, for whatever reason, humanly, you can identify right. a photograph. Well, another thing with flash photography, if it's you know right on top of the camera, basically the only light source that's worse than that is you know like if you have a flashlight under your chin, like if you're telling a you know creepy story, <laughs> right. because when you have a flash, you know coming from the same perspective or the same point of view of the actual photo, it just flattens everything out. So. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody that has maybe just a little bit of a double chin, it'll be magnified there sometimes. And, you know, you don't really see the shape of the face in the same way. It's just like, I mean, if you have a very skilled photographer, they may have certain things that they're using, like attachments to make the flash less harsh, or they may bounce it off the ceiling or things like that. But in general, if it's direct, then it can be a little harsh. And, um, you know, there's times where it's fine, but it definitely doesn't make the person look more dimensional, which is something you want with a painting. So if you have you know, a flat photo and you're trying to make it look dimensional in the, the painting, it also doesn't really help in that way either. Exactly. So yeah. is is that the, the end of your history? Are, are, we, uh, are we, we at that point where we're going to go to Tom and he's going to tell us he doesn't know anything? I, I think that's probably the point we're at now, yeah. If, if you want, you can go to me first and I can tell you I don't know anything and then you can go to Tom. All right. Sounds um, good. Tanda, do you, do you really not know anything? I, I've my personal history with with painting of any kind is uh, is very limited. Any kind of artistic painting, I've certainly painted things, and I have uh, I have created things with paint, 
that were things things that I saw and then painted, none of which were were notable. One thing that I was that was really interesting to me as a kid, and I wanted to try it but wasn't allowed to, because the supplies were expensive or maybe maybe it was a sentimental thing I don't know. But my mom worked for a photographer tenting photos. So when color photography was not as common, or maybe it was an artistic thing, uh, photographers would take black and white photos, and then they would be tinted. They would be painted over the photo to tint them and add flesh tones and fill in people's eye color and, and actually create a color, you know, tint. And we had pictures of, of myself and my siblings, uh, a picture of her, and I think maybe a picture of my dad that we all that we still had that she had painted. But she did lots of them for the photographer, of course, that went off to clients. And the my my mom passed away when I was young, but the paints that she used were still around. And I always wanted to use them and paint paint things with them and to I try to paint black and white or tint black and white photos. And I wasn't allowed to. And those paints just probably all dried up. And then when my dad passed away, my, one of my sisters inherited them as, as a keepsake, basically a, you know, a large box of dried up paints. But I always thought that would be fascinating. Not, not so much personally, but just because my mom had kind of done it professionally to just explore it, you know, to get kind of make a connection there. But I've done very little artistic painting. I think you might still be able to get a tinting kit for that kind of thing. I'm not sure, but I, I, it, it's probably still, you know, being done, yeah. you know, for artistic purposes more so than as a replacement for, you know, more expensive color photography. Well, even if they don't have kits like that, which I would guess they probably do somewhere. I, I think I'm not sure what type of paint that was, but I would guess it might be similar to watercolor. So you might even be able to just use regular watercolors for something like that. But you would maybe want to just... Uh, pay attention to what type of paper it was that you were working on because uh, certain photo paper might get kind of like uh, slimy if you start painting on it. Right. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was always interesting. I mean, the paintings have endured the test of time. My sisters have have their paintings. I have my painting or my photograph that was tinted. And they still look as I remembered them when I was a youngster. So I halfway wonder if it's not some sort of alcohol paint where it's evaporating quickly so that it's not destroying the paper. It could be because mm. as I, I mean, just from looking at it, and I don't, I was too young to really know the details of it, but it looks like photo paper. I don't think they were printed on a special paper that was to then be tinted, but it may very well have been, and I just didn't know it because I was too young to to know any of the details. You're gonna have to get back to us next week. Oh I, man, it, I, I I just realized something. I completely forgot. I was supposed to write myself a note, and I didn't. So I'm gonna say it now. I was supposed to bring... Were we, spo- were we supposed to hit the record? Oh, man. Not again, Tanda. Are you not recording? Uh, well, you you didn't say start, so... N- never mind. I'll just dub you in. So <laughs> um, last week, um, I forgot to mention this in the dealer's corner. Last week, I told you I got that deal on the printer filament, and then they sent me two of the wrong colors, and I would emailed them to send me the colors they said they were going to send. Right. I just got an email today confirming that they are sending me those two colors for free so very cool yeah so it's just so now i i I paid for three spools and i got seven that's um 
but yeah, I, I completely forgot to put that in the dealer's corner. But um, but anyway, Tom, do you have any history at all with uh, oil painting or art in general? No, I don't know anything. Tom knows nothing, nothing at all. No, I I have I have very. Yeah, I managed to fill a good minute with nothing. Yeah, well, you can play that answer really slow to fill out a minute if you need to. I really have zero. It was just not something like painting, drawing, anything in general was just not something that was in our lives a lot. You know, it's not something my parents did or were into or had like natural talent for. So just therefore your kids don't have the exposure, which is something I'm trying. I would like to hope to influence my kids to do things that I have zero interest in, so to speak, like, or I have no talent in. I remember hearing a story about an artist, maybe I said this already, where her father lied to her and said that we have natural artistic talent (laughs) and he would just fake it. And she became an artist, right? Like she just, she just (laughs) took that lie her whole life and like eventually learned that that just wasn't really true, but it didn't matter. It worked like we, we <laughs> won't I let think... your, we won't let your kids listen to this episode. Then if you want to go ahead and yeah, no. <laughs> my, my seven year old always wants to listen. I'm like, no, I don't want to listen to me. <laughs> I actually, I don't know if I would agree though. So you start talking to your son, well, you're like, we come from a long line like... of rocket scientists, Lincoln. So just, uh, just yeah. so you know, <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's yeah. definitely some truth well, to that. I mean, and the opposite is like in our music episode with Tim and just my experience with music was like this one day test as an elementary school student going into middle school that the result was um, you didn't, you know, you should probably do something other than band. Right. It was so bad. And that was probably because there were a limited number. There were probably a limited number of spots available for band. Hmm. And because I wasn't, yeah. you know, in the top you know, 30 or whatever it was from my elementary school in, in this listening to and, and play, you know, writing down relative positions of notes. I just, you know, lived the rest of my life, assuming that I should probably do something other than music. Yeah. (laughs) Sad. Well, very often when I meet somebody that's not an artist, if I'm drawing or painting and they come up and see me, like I've gone to Central Park and done paintings there before or at weddings or whatever. There's a certain thing that people say. It's usually one of two options that they just know that that's what you say to an artist. And I'll ask everyone listening at home if they can guess what mm-hmm. it is, because they probably already know one or two of those. But what would you guys say that is? It's just, yeah, the thing that you say to an artist. Yeah, um, when you see an artist drawing, you walk up to them and you say, oh. Right. I, I could never do that. Or, or something along the lines of, like, I have no ability to do what you're doing. Close. Yeah. Tom, Tom, do you want to guess? I, I can't come up with it. Okay. Maybe you're thinking it's about it. It's such a cliche, though. Yeah, I think, PJ, you probably know what I'm talking about. I know all the answers, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, if you were <laughs> in that situation, maybe you're one of the rare few that wouldn't actually react this way, but people almost always say, I can't draw a straight line, possibly with or without a ruler, or I can't even draw a stick figure. This is like... This is just the reaction that most people have, and they, I don't know how they all know to say it. Yeah. But it's oh, just... I can I can definitely draw a stick figure. Well, that's good. You're ahead of yeah. a lot of people. I need. Uh, so uh, yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. It probably turns out I have a long history of being able to draw stick figures in my family, and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> well, I would say though, Tom, like you were talking about that story of the you know the guy that was telling his uh, daughter everyone can draw. 
or everyone can do art. I actually think that there's there's some truth to that because if you think about when you're a kid, you know, everybody yeah. just draws with crayons. No one thinks, oh, I don't know how to draw with the crayons. I'm going to just sit here and watch everyone else do it. So it's really, I think when you get older, people either just get into other things or they suddenly maybe don't think they're good enough then or whatever. But really, there's been lots of people that have also, you know, seen what I'm doing and they always talk about, well, not always, but a lot of people will talk about a gift and like, oh, you have such a gift from God or whatever. And I always feel like, well, you know, you're seeing many thousands and thousands of hours of work. You know, if you want to be good at basketball, you're not going to just be instantly as good as, you know, Shaq if you're not going and, you know, practicing constantly. <laughs> right, right. Right. So I think there's really a lot yeah. more of that to painting and drawing than a lot of people tend to, to realize. For some reason, that right. specific skill people don't seem to associate with that same kind of amount of like time you're spending on it. Right, right. God gave you the patience to sit in front of a canvas for 10,000 hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, really, and you know, actually I've said that before, really the main kind of difference is between me and a lot of other people is I have the patience to actually just keep on working on it for, you know, hour and hour, hour after hour and keep on going until it gets better. And then, you know, keep on going on the next painting until that one gets better. So really the patience is a big part of it, but there are some artists that are very impatient and they'll just only work in one sitting and then they say, all right, I'm done. That's it. But, you know, if you're doing realism, you kind of have to have patience to spend the time on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the story of the father is more about labels and how powerful labels are good and bad and how they shape you and live with you way too long sometimes. But yeah, it's 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 like any other skill. I think there's definitely natural talent involved a lot of times with anything, though. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have a natural tendency to know how mechanisms function and manipulate them. and But because I have some of that natural talent, it's become something I'm interested in and something I want to spend time in. You know, and for me that... Right, and so you continue to get better. I mean, yeah, th there's an interest there and it's kind better. of this self-fulfilling cycle it, yeah exactly exactly and i'm sure if painting or, or drawing or anything like that was was that interest for me i would have spent thousands of hours in that and and been i won't say i would be good but sure like i would i would have some you would look at it and go oh he's got talent but really it's just a tiny bit of talent that that bloomed into something else because you were interested in it I think that that really goes a long way also, just when you're really legitimately, you know, passionate about something, you know, like you see some bands that become one hit wonders and maybe they just, you know, kind of had a good album and then they didn't know what to do next or whatever. But I feel like in a lot of those cases, you know, I don't I don't know if they were maybe just more interested in the fame or the money or, you know, the, the attention and, you know, then they got that and they didn't know what to do next. But I feel like if you're really, really into something and you really care about it, you kind of never run out of that. You know, you may change what you're doing in different ways, but you, you kind of just keep on finding new things to make, whether it's music or paintings or whatever it is. So I think really there's just a lot to be said for, you know, doing what you love. And like we were saying before, finding somebody to pay for it may be another issue. But as far as like doing great work, I think that's kind of one of the best kind of ingredients. So and what Anthony's not saying is that he also used to make music uh, early on in his his uh, career, he was uh, big into. Um, he had a whole setup. He's making uh, was electronica. What kind of music was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually one of my other skills. 
Uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, so moving on to me. Edit, edit yeah. this part out. Yeah. I, I was the cat out of the bag. So my relationship with oil painting specifically is short-lived. I didn't paint with oil except for, I believe it was one semester in college. And I believe I took that course because I needed like an elective and painting was available. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I know how to paint. I don't know where I knew how to paint because I don't remember painting when I was younger, but I had done a lot of other art things. I'd done a lot of drawing and I'd done a lot of other creative aspects. So I took this course and mainly what I learned was that I, with oil paint specifically, I could mix any color I saw. Anything that was put in front of me, I could get the exact color with a limited number of paints. And I was, I was spectacular at it. Uh, going to the actual painting side of things, I was okay with oil painting, but the problem was I lacked real passionate inspiration. Like if you put a fruit bowl in front of me, I could paint the fruit bowl. If I had a, like, I remember specifically there was a comic book that I, I read that was called something like... Um, Metal Bikini. Metal Bikini. Yeah, that was it. Metal Bikini. <laughs> and there was this woman that was a, like an anime style, like extremely overly busty um, woman that I had uh, some fixation on. And I had drawn her in, I think it was like Corel Draw or something, like some computer program where I had taken the time to like duplicate the comic book in, uh, I had like an Amiga 2000 computer. And so I had a printout of this, of this, Anthony's got a thought. Um, actually it was me that created that first and then we both uh, made different versions of it and adapted it. Okay. Uh, the, the sure. One, the black and white version. Okay. I, I made one that was full color. I don't remember a black and white version. Oh, you're, are you talking about the standing version? The standing version where she's on the beach. Okay, there was, I made the one where she's laying down on the towel first, but then I think you made the other one after that. But anyway, I ahead. made it. I, I don't even remember that one, but I made a standing version of basically it, it, this 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 blonde. You may you may want to you may want to have your kids stop listening at this point if, oh, you're, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cartoon character. I googled it, and I'm getting a very very insightful image of of uh, PJ's adolescence. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's all all the things. So. Uh, I had this printout, this this print, this picture that I'd drawn on the computer and printed out in full color. I took that to the class, and I printed, or, or, or I painted in oil a full size, full canvas, like a I don't know. I want to say it was like a a two by three or a three by four. Like it was a big canvas of this this thing that I'd made on the computer of this big busty blonde cartoon character, and it looked identical. Like it was, it was exact. The shading, the the shape, everything was perfect. But it was a cartoon character. It wasn't like anything real. It was something that I was interested in. So like I could duplicate things, but when it came to like actual inspiration, there just wasn't any. Like I could I could paint what I saw, but there was nothing coming from like within, and. That was the the stint of oil painting. And then from that was like, let's say, my early 20s. There was a big gap until I hit my late 20s. And I didn't start painting again, but I started doing artwork again. And 
this is this is where it's going to be a little counterintuitive because Anthony's talking about how you do need to practice what you're doing over and over and spend hours to get good at it. But something happened to me, which I can't explain, in a span of, let's say, eight years where I did no artwork at all, I started doing it again and found that my artwork improved by like two or three hundred percent. Just like out of the blue, I started doing it. I'm like, wow, this is way better than I used to be. And I had no explanation other than I had taken up um, bonsai trees and bonsai will teach you patience and observation. And I think that those two things are key for artwork. If you have patience and you're able to observe what you're looking at, you're able to do better artwork. Mm -hmm. It like one of like one of the specific things is a lot of people when they're thinking of a person and you're painting a person, they're trying to paint like the whole person. And that's that's not how it, when you're looking at a thing, you're looking at a picture of a person, it's made up of shapes. And you have to focus on those shapes. Like there's a shape that is the shadow of under their chin. That is one shape. And then there's a shape of their cheek. There's a shape of their nose. There's So all these things, you have to be able to take what you're looking at in the real world and flatten it into these shapes. And that takes observation. And if you can't do that, you're going to have a really hard time painting or drawing anything. Mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of a quantum leap for me. And then I went another couple years and I had gone to film school and I had a client that wanted me to do, we did mini documentaries on artists. He was an art benefactor. He's actually still one of my clients. I still work with him occasionally. One of the people that we interviewed was this really renowned artist named Kendall Shaw. He lived in Brooklyn. He's passed away since. But he was like, I want to say he was like 95 and he was still working. Uh, he had an assistant, but he was uh, uh, really, he was an abstract artist. So like we're interviewing him for his work and we're looking at all these canvases that are like, no joke, like 10 feet by 10 feet. They took up like an entire side of a wall and they're all squares. Like the 10 foot by 10 foot painting would be like, let's say, I don't know, 300 squares or 400 squares across by like 400 squares up. So it just looked like this giant pixelated thing. And at first I'm looking at it, I just didn't understand. Like I knew it was abstract art, but I didn't understand really what I was looking at. And then as we're recording him and he's explaining why the colors are the way they are and there's actually a story to it and the inspiration behind it and he started to kind of unfold what abstract art meant and i'd never heard anybody explain it like this like he he had this series he was a um he was a shaker he was raised by shakers so he was not familiar with uh, christianity intimately he wasn't raised christian so he at some point uh, was introduced to the Bible and he started reading the stories and he found them so fascinating. He did this entire series of biblical abstract paintings. And the one I'm thinking of is he did a painting of the burning bush. That was, again, it was like 10 feet by 10 feet. It was gigantic. And at first, when you look at it, it just looks like a bunch of colors. But then when he starts explaining the story of the bush and why the colors are in certain places, all of a sudden you see that he's captured this entire story in this abstract painting. 
And one of the things that he said that's always stuck with me is he was a teacher for many, many years. And he said, when you when he would get new students, the students always wanted to be clever. They always wanted to do things that were clever. And he says, okay, fine. You, you want to be clever? Here's a gold star. I don't care. I don't care if you're clever. Paint something and make me feel something. He said, that is the point of art. Art is made to get an emotional reaction out of the people that are experiencing it. And if they're not getting an emotional reaction, then you have failed as an artist. And when he said that, I don't know, something about that really clicked. And I started to think about things in abstraction. And it was right, this is right around 2010, 2011. And that was when I started abstract painting. Now, I didn't paint in oils. I was trained in oils, but I was at that point moving around a lot because I was in the film industry and I was going different places and I didn't have a space where I could like let a painting sit and let the the, the oils oxidize without worrying about them getting like somebody bumps them and they smear or whatever. So I turned to acrylics. Acrylics don't mix the same as oil and they are slightly different when you're painting with but I started a tradition because I don't drink alcohol and many people when it's New Year's love to go out drinking and they love to go to parties I would always stay at home whether I was dating somebody or not I stayed at home and so I started this tradition of making a painting by starting it on New Year's Eve and then finishing it New Year's Day or like the week of New Year's. So I would start a painting in one year and finish it the next year. And I have been carrying that tradition for, I don't know, what's it, 11 years now? And it's also branched out into painting abstract artwork on vices, on bench vices. I painted, uh, as you guys have seen, if you look at my Instagram account, I painted abstract art on a floor model Delta drill press. And I have a standing client offer there's someone that wants me to do abstract art on a Delta 14-inch bandsaw, which um, I might be starting here soon. I got to go pick the bandsaw up. But the point I'm making is that um, all of the, the abstract art, you have to find the thing that you're passionate about. Anthony was talking about that. You have When you have the inspiration, it never really shuts off. You have to find your thing. Like I said, like when I was in college, I could paint whatever you put in front of me, but it didn't inspire me. But something about the abstraction to where you have to look deeper, you have to look beyond what's in front of you, that spoke to me. And I've done that um, in pretty much all my work. A lot of it is it is abstraction that, that, that is somewhat recognizable, but there's always a deeper layer underneath. I was just going to say, so it becomes more of an activity or, you know, or an exercise, the enjoyment of the doing of it and, and not caring so much about the results it is something that just draws you forward. Is that, you know, I mean, would you say that's a good summary of it is that you're, you're not as, as focused on just completing a painting as the enjoyment of what you're doing? Because it's, you know, it speaks to you or it does does something for you emotionally. For, for me, it is very, very emotionally involved. If, in, in other words, if I can't, if I'm not feeling it, I just stop. I won't, I won't do it. I have to feel what's happening or I can't do it. It's not like a paint by numbers 
where you just like, oh, this spot needs blue. No, this spot needs blue that has movement to it that shows that it's going in a direction because it connects with everything else around it. And it's not just blue, it's actually blue with other colors of blue striped into it, outlined in black, because, you know, I think there's all of these, it's multi-layered. Right. It really is, it's like, think of it like a person, you know, like you don't see a person that's flat and has just no dimension. The thing that, that I when I create something, it, it is, it's, it's literally like creating like a, a, a living thing, because... Again, you have to have an, an emotional reaction. I want someone to have an emotional reaction when they see it, whether they love it or they hate it or it confuses them. All those are emotional reactions. But you need to have it. If I want, I always want something to be interacting with the observer. And if that's happening, then I've succeeded in what I'm doing. I didn't know this. I didn't know that uh, Van Gogh only sold one painting. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the, with the exception of one painting, uh, I have kept all of my work. Uh, everything that I've painted, I've painted for myself. I did paint one small painting for a friend of mine that I, I sent to her as a gift. And uh, as far as I know, my memory is pretty bad. That's the only painting of mine that exists outside of my own personal collection. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you sick and tired of linseed oil causing your paintings to go yellow after time? Well, Johnson's has just the solution for you. Introducing Yellow's No Paint Additive. That's right. All you have to do is add this into your paints and don't worry about the yellow showing up later on down the line. It's simple and easy. Squirt a little bit in. It's just like adding regular paint. Now, we do have to warn you, don't eat yellows, no. It's not good for you. And don't add to yellow paint. Also, yellows, no may cause blindness. Johnson's Hardware has an exclusive on yellows, no. If you would like to buy a tube of yellows, no, it's only $9.99 right next to the latex paint located in our paint aisle. You can find yellow snow at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right. It's time for crossbreeding. Anthony, what skill goes well with oil painting? Well, one of the skills that I have in general, but that definitely helps with oil painting, is recognizing flaws or things that don't really make sense immediately. So... Like I was saying, I used to work at a graphic design studio. You know, the designers would work on the packaging and I was just kind of like the helper for different things. And when I first started working there, I noticed there would be a print of like a package, you know, packaging packaging design option. And there'd be sometimes a little line someplace or whatever. And I was like, oh, that seems weird. But I just assumed they were designers. Oh, they must want it there. But then eventually I started learning that, you know, when you're doing work like that, it's really easy to have a layer turned on that you thought you deleted or you know, was supposed to be turned off or whatever. And there'd be kind of an artifact that's showing up on the print that you don't want. Or sometimes there was just everything looked okay on screen. And there'd be an area where like one layer was kind of affecting another and doing some weird thing. So, you know, usually I can like look at a print like that and just tell kind of instantly when there's something that doesn't really look like it belongs there. And, uh, you know, that kind of works with if you're, you know, painting somebody's face, you can kind of look at proportions and see you know, if this the size or the shape or 
different things are not really right, you know, the angles and things like that. So that can be very helpful just in general with art and doing representational art. Are you really good at those hidden picture puzzles? Um, you, or not hidden picture. Well, hidden picture, but also like the, like find the 10 what's, differences. What's different between these two images? I was yeah. actually literally the other day I was telling one of my students and we were talking about something. And I was like, you know, those things where there's like the two different pictures and you have to find what's different between them. And I was saying how when you're sometimes when you're looking at your drawing, you know, if it's kind of far along and then you're looking at your reference picture, you know, or painting, same thing, you, like looking back and forth. If you start to see something that looks different, then it's kind of like if you look back and forth real quick a bunch of times, it's like you can see in the same way with those kind of games, like, OK, there's a thing missing right over here or, you know, maybe the ear is a little bit too high in that one spot. So it's very much like that. But yeah, I used to love those things. And actually the hidden pictures, too. I was really into them when I was little. And I was actually thinking, I wonder if I'm good at this because I was so into that kind of stuff when I was younger. My brain just kind of developed that way. <laughs> you know, it kind of also applies to like movies. I mean, I've gotten my girlfriend to be kind of good at continuity now, too, or she'll just be able to tell if somebody like if a girl's hair is different in one take compared to the next time you see her. And uh, so like that kind of stuff stands out to me kind of a lot of the time. It's like being really obvious if something is out of place or all of a sudden somebody's holding a thing they were supposed to have already put down. Right. Probably to the point that you even see, like if, if they changed the lighting, something you're not actually seeing in the scene, but if you're, you're like, Oh, they, they changed that, yeah. uh, that light, they move, they move that light from scene A to scene B. Well, I mean, there are times where, you know, you just see a different shot of somebody and they just are supposed to look different or whatever. But mm -hmm. just when there's like an obvious mistake or like, say um, you see somebody, you know, in one shot walking through a door and then in the next, you know, it shows somebody else and it goes back to the first person and they're not as far into the room and they're still coming through the door further back than before, you know, that kind of thing. I can see, right. and it, you know, many people might not notice it, but for me, it's like, oh, or like product placement. I definitely notice very, very uh, obviously when there's a product somewhere and sometimes it works for the story and it's fine, but other times it's just so obvious that it's only there to pay for, you know, part of the movie, but that's the industry as PJ and I have talked about. I think that's one of the most fun reasons to watch a reality TV show mm -hmm. because there are so many continuity... I, they're not really errors. The truth is most people don't see them, so the editor just doesn't care. Like, it's... Because it, they don't have to. But there are so many... Well, and yeah, and those are usually done very, very quick and very low budget, so they're not as concerned or can't be. Yeah. But you'll see... If you're really good and you're paying attention, you'll see something that you saw four episodes ago and you're like, wait, that was supposed to have happened then and it's happening now? Like they play they cut and pasted that scene mm -hmm. to a totally different day, you know? And just to make their story work. Yeah, so reality TV is the bane of um of the television industry and I absolutely refuse to watch it. It's 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 the worst oh, I thing. I think ever. it's the best stuff on TV. It's horrible. Well <laughs> one of the most ridiculous continuity uh issues I ever saw was my girlfriend likes The Bachelor and I think I was like I just had to watch it with her years ago and I just I can't take it anymore. But back I don't know, five or six years ago when we still <laughs> would watch it sometimes together there's one part where there's a guy and a girl, I guess, you know, the bachelor and one of his, you know, girls are driving along in a car and they break down and, you know, the car goes over to the side of the road and you see in one shot, there's a big hill going up on a slant. And then you see another shot of them getting out of the car, like an aerial shot from a helicopter or something. 
and it's on like a freeway. There's not even a hill there at all. And if you were paying attention, it's like very, very obvious. It's not the same place at all. And they were like laughing when they're getting out of the car, like, oh, we broke down. Ha ha ha. But, um, you know, once you point it out or notice it, it's like really, really sloppy. So it almost seemed like one of those things where they didn't even care if people noticed because it was so obvious. But I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Most people don't know. If you want to see something that has continuity errors on purpose and is absolutely hilarious, I recommend you watch the movie Black Dynamite. This has got to be one of the funniest films I've ever seen where they they purposefully have incontinuities. There is, um, I, I believe the star is uh, Michael Jai White. Uh, he was, he his big role that a lot of people know him for is he played Spawn in the movie Spawn in the late 90s. He's, he's a fantastic actor. But they they did all kinds of things like it, they they shot it like it was a low budget film, so they did things on purpose. But it was not low budget. Like there's one part where he stands up really really fast, and his head he's got like a giant afro, like it's like twice the size of his head if I remember correctly, and he stands up really fast, and his head hits the boom mic, and you see the boom mic <laughs> in the frame, but it's like. Every boom mic ever used on any film set is black because you want it to hide. You don't, you know, you don't want right. it to be accidentally seen. This one was bright red. Like they did it they, on purpose, the brightest color that you could have on screen. So, so, so then he stands up, he hits the boom mic, and then they're still rolling. And you can see his eyes, like his eyes go up to the boom mic, like he's looking at it, like, are you going to yell cut? And they don't say anything. So then he just keeps going. And it's, it's, it's so, like the whole movie is like that. It is absolutely hilarious um and i i was um i'd never heard of the film i was working with two african-american filmmakers in brooklyn and they referenced it and i said i don't know what you're talking about and like oh we've got to watch it right now and they pulled it up and the three of us sat there in my office and watched the entire film and it was absolutely and i've, <laughs> I've seen it several times it's hilarious but anyway uh moving right along i believe the skill you're talking about anthony is observation pairs well with yes. uh, with oil painting. I do have uh, a color fun fact, though. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. I, I think you're going to say it whether I want to hear it or not. Well, go ahead. That's right. Yeah, red actually <laughs> hits the eye faster than any other color on the spectrum that we can see. And this is one of the reasons that anybody that saw the recent, well, I think actually, maybe it's not the same reason, but anyway, the recent uh, lunar eclipse that we had, if it, you know, you've ever seen a lunar eclipse, it looks red. It specifically has to do with other colors getting filtered out. Maybe that's a different thing. But anyway, red actually is more intense uh, than any other color on the spectrum that we're able to actually see. So it kind of reacts differently than others in some sort of a scientific way. But that's all. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to bleep all that out. Tanda, (laughs) what skill goes well with oil painting? If you want to continue to just bleep, you know, right through this, that would be, that's fine as well. Oh come on! I I, th- I think I'm going to say uh, practice. I mean, we've talked about it already, but I think that um, you know it's the sort of thing that that you just need to you need to put in the time and maybe uh, the ability to not be hard on yourself with with many of these sorts of things is just to to do it, um, knowing that you're going to get better and you you might stink at first and and you just have to persevere so maybe perseverance I'm not sure if that's a skill but i don't th- i don't think i'm gonna get anything better out of you i try to throw out three or four things just to baffle pj yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't tell anymore. Tom, what skill goes well with oil painting? I have no idea. You guys are not even trying. Not even trying. <laughs> can't canvas stretching. Canvas stretching. Yeah, canvas. Uh, Can canvasry is that is that the term for that? No, I think I mean observation is the the biggest one. I think that's the most obvious hot one. Um, I'm just gonna say design because I know. Anthony, do you do you think that design goes well with with oil painting? Well, design can mean a few different things, but if you're looking at it in terms of composition, then I would say yes. See. I was thinking of it in terms of composition. composition. Yeah, that's... yeah, that's what you were thinking, Tom. You don't even know what that word means. All right, let's 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 move no, on. No, I do. Hold on one second. Yeah, the googling it doesn't help, Tom. Okay, you either know what it means or you don't. I think you're proving my point. You're proving my point. It's got to be the opposite of decomposition. I I slap. I just slapped the key so hard. I think I broke my MacBook. Oh my god. <laughs> they don't make a noise. You guys always make this so complicated. You can't just give me like a simple answer. Like I could just explain about, composition. You wouldn't. Get, you wouldn't accept the simple answer. Who are you kidding? All my amp- my answers are always simple. Okay, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, Tanda Anthony sidebar real quick. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's do this. Give me a simple answer. I'm gonna deliver it to him, and he's just not. He's just not gonna accept it. So give me. Give me a one word simple answer for oh. what pairs well. Well, well sim. You know, assuming that you're using, you know, mummy brown, which apparently has yeah. been popular through the decades. I think my one word thing that would go well with, uh, with oil painting would be decomposition. Decomposition. Yeah. I wouldn't have said that one myself. That's interesting. That's perfect. All right, we'll give it a whirl. But he's just—he uh, pretends like he wants Im- simple answers. He just doesn't accept them. So, oh, uh, he, here he's coming back. So, PJ, PJ, yeah, uh, I'll give you a simple answer, and I—I just—I don't believe that you can handle it. Um, decomposition pairs well. Decomposition is not a skill, and it's good for composting, Tom. So it's I, neither of those things. Okay, neither of those oh, things. Golly. You're not even trying. Okay, you're not even trying. Okay, I can't wait to hear your answer and just quit. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing, Tom. If you listen to Anthony talk, he gave you like 80 different choices when he was explaining everything earlier. How about photography? Photography is great for oil painting because you need references while you're painting. It's a good one. It's a simple was that, answer. Uh, was that photography, though, or photography? I don't know what photography is. Depends on depends on what you're painting. Like cat. If it's animal photography. Like taking pictures of cats is photography. Is that like when you're petting a cat? Like the the surface of a cat is photography, like topography, but with fur. No, yeah, that's that's like people who classify cats by their fur. They're photographers. That makes yeah. a lot more sense. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say that that like does that does not apply to painting, at all. I don't think you're the judge and jury on what applies to painting. You don't even do it, except for one semester. I just got done saying I did it. What are you talking about? I've got paintings all around my room here. I've never seen them. Oh, my God. Do I have to turn the camera, Tom? Here, hold on. Here. Here we go. Let's see. No, because no, oh, it'll, oh, it'll, oh, don't break the fourth oh, wall. Oh, oh, oh. I've been living in this fantasy that Look, you're actually in front see, of a green paintings? screen of a mildly depressing room. And <laughs> there. Now you saw him. You can't unsee it. How about that, Tom? How about that? <laughs> Nobody at home can see them, but you saw them. So those are those are really good paintings. 
based on based on the emotional reaction, you know, criteria yes. earlier. Yeah. Yes, Tom's emotional reaction. Sometimes I get fur in my paintings, but that's not intentional. I just pull them out when that happens. So that's a separate problem. It's a separate problem. We're not we're not talking about problems. We're talking about skills. Never never mind. I mean, just like photographers and you know, like that skill, like. If I knew a photographer, I could probably get one over here to like help get the fur out of the painting, but it's always accidental when it happens. It's true. Mind. They would classify it after. And maybe make a brush out of it. That's true. Yes. Cat brushes. It's really soft. Great for oil painting. Wouldn't cat fur brushes lead to more cat fur in the paintings? That could happen. Not if they're bound correctly. <sighs> I'm, I, I don't even know what to say. PJ, PJ, PJ we're, we're joking. Don't you get that? We're just joking about the cat fur paintbrushes. You're acting the same you always do, Tom. How am I supposed to know it's a joke? It sounds like every other podcast we've done. We we were joking. Yeah, see? Tanda's making my point for me. We're moving on. And now it's time for Gimme Your Best Guest. Yeah. All right, Anthony. We know that your dominant skill set is oil painting. We need the top five. So what is number two? What's your number two skill? Well, I play keyboard and uh, mixing, producing, if you want to call it that also, using trackers, but I haven't really done that for many years, but it's still something that I like. Used to to do a lot more before I was trying to uh, just support myself only doing paintings. So, okay. Now, would you take other works and kind of like mash them up and mix them? No, I would sample things sometimes. Uh, like there was one song I worked on where I sampled a lot of things from The Shining and, you know, took sounds and turned them into like sounds for the music. But aside from that, everything else was just me making different synthesizer things of my own and drum beats, you know, things like that. But you took apart like a composition and then made it your own. So that would be kind of like, the skill of decomposition, right? No, not really. No, I was just really making oh, everything man. up on my own. Yeah. It was a bit of a stretch, but I, I thought it was worth a try. No no one likes uh, stretchy music. Well. Or, or stretchy decomposition. That that either. Oh, if you're using a theremin. If you're going to do aerobics, you know, you can play some music while you're getting warmed up for the aerobics and stretch. That's true. Yeah. All right. I, I can't argue that. Music. I can't argue that. Yeah. Pe- the aerobics people do stretch. But I mean, come on, let's be on. That went out of style with Jane Fonda. So what what got you into the, the keyboarding in the first place? Well, we actually had that. Actually, it was your keyboard that I think Granny gave you when we were little, the sampler. The Casio. Mm-hmm. I still have it mm-hmm. today. And, you know, I used to play with, I kind of really started playing with that around uh, high school. And I brought it to college. And we started calling it the Etch-A-Sketch when I was in art school. Because if you turned it upside down, all of these samples would get erased. <laughs> I don't know why. You could shake, you could shake it and erase the samples. That's great. <laughs> I yeah, didn't you know can, that. There's the little pads on there. You can record four samples at a time and for like maybe 30 seconds each. And if it was on when you turned it upside down, it would erase the samples and you have to go back to the default. But if it was turned off when you turned it upside down, that didn't happen. So something about it being on would lead to that happening. But it was just so simple to use and so fun you know you just record a sample for anyone that doesn't know what a sample is you record a sound and then all the keys of the keyboard turn into that sound going high and low so you could you know loop it and do fun things with it and it was just really cool and eventually i got my yamaha motif keyboard 
uh, many years ago and it's way more difficult to use. The menu was really, really not user-friendly in my opinion, but I know at the point that it came out, it was like kind of the top of the line, most advanced keyboard that had ever been uh, put, on, put out uh, for sale. But uh, the ones that are out now, they have like a full color screen and I think it's more like a computer basically. And, you know, it's probably much easier to navigate, but, you know, compared to the little Casio one, it was just really simple and straightforward. So I like that about it. You know, we learn all kinds of new things. Like, um, you have my keyboard. So there's that. <laughs> well, you didn't want it anymore. I didn't know what happened to it. All right. So, um, what same same what is uh what is your third skill in the uh, in the in the toolbox there well actually my third one was uh recognizing flaws and things that don't make sense immediately which we we're talking about before all right so then we're skipping over that one that must be hard with a brother like pj yeah yeah okay so what's what's skill number four okay then photoshop it's definitely very useful for uh i guess various kinds of uh, visual artists but you know definitely an oil painter you know, for the type of work that I'm interested in doing and that I have already done, it's definitely very useful. And there's a lot of other programs out there that are kind of a more simplified version of Photoshop, like Canva is a really big one, but not sponsored. But, you know, Photoshop is really, really complex and very powerful. And there's a lot you can do with it. And I first started using it around 94, 95, and I didn't really get good at it until after I was done at the graphic design studio, you know, I learned a lot from being there and then I just really looked into certain things I didn't understand well after that and got to be a, you know, much better at it. So that's very useful just for making the reference and also correcting photos. If there's the lighting is not quite right and, um, you know, that kind of thing, just so that you can have better reference to use for your actual painting that you're doing. Cause if you have bad reference and you're trying to make a good painting of it, then you're already setting yourself back from the beginning. Mm. So I want um first off Photoshop not sponsored. Uh I had I had a version of Photoshop. I had probably the last version before they went to an online subscription service and I had it on my laptop and I was about maybe mm, I don't know five or six operating systems behind the current system and something was happening with my phone not syncing so I'm like you know what let me go to the the most current version. And then, of course, now Photoshop doesn't work because it's no longer supported after it's like, I don't know, six years beyond the operating system. So I had to get something else that worked. So if you're like me and you don't want to pay for Photoshop every month, there is a program called Affinity Photo, which is also not sponsored, but you buy it once and you can use it like Photoshop and it'll open Photoshop files. Hmm. So a lot of the stuff crosses over, um, but there are some differences. And I've been using that for about, I don't know, six months, maybe a little bit longer. Very satisfied with my purchase. It updates regularly whenever they do a release. I don't have to pay for nothing. So just saying. All right, that was skill number four. So what is your fifth and final skill, Anthony? I could, I could give you a bonus skill since we already had the one skill earlier. Do you want an extra one? I, I want to know what skill number five is. Well, I'll say skill number five is teaching, which this is something that you know people told me many times before I actually started teaching that I was good at it. You know, going back to when I was at um, the uh, grocery store I used to work at, which shall rename, remain nameless, and I made the signs there. There was a laminator in the sign shop, 
And, you know, I used to show people how to use the laminator all the time just to make uh, little simple things that they could just do themselves that, you know, I didn't really need to work on. And so, you know, people would tell me that I was good at showing them how to use it, which I think had a lot to do with just the fact that I'm very patient. And when you know how to do something already, I think it's easy to just rush through it when you're showing somebody new, you know, what to do with it. But, you know, you have to always have the mentality of looking at things from the person's point of view that doesn't know what they're doing, you know, when you're teaching somebody. You know, I do group lessons online. Like I was saying before, I do the, the solo lessons and I do group lessons on drawing portraits and uh, painting landscapes and things like that. So, which I've actually got a couple coming up. So um, that's number five. Well, I, I have to concur that patience in dealing with people is, is very important. I have to have patience every single week on Tuesday at <laughs> 7 when dealing with Tom and Tanda. So I can confirm that that's very, very important. Uh, now you you, know, you want to? I can I can confirm that Tom didn't even hear that. He's he's busy working on no, something. <laughs> yes, I've moved on. Yes, Tom's checked out. Uh. It doesn't matter that we're recording or that we have a guest on. He's in the middle of probably working on like a three D program. You know, probably designing the next thing to to print. On the on the upside though, Tom's very easy to deal with when he's checked out. <laughs> you you need little to no patience. That's that's not true. It's the opposite. You need tons of patience. Uh, so, so Anthony, you you want to talk a little bit about um, what you're offering as a teacher? Oh, for the group classes? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, um, it's uh, I think three and a half hour group class that we do online, and you know, for the portrait drawing uh, class, you know, we're going to look at how to draw a face, even for people that are total beginners. I've I've done, done this before with people uh, in groups where. People that had no drawing experience by the end of the, the uh, class actually were able to draw a really nice looking, you know, decent face. And so people of any skill level can just uh, sign up for it. And we have a photo we'll all be looking at to draw the same thing together. And I'll just take them step by step through each uh, stage of it. And we'll draw it at the same time, you know, drawing the different you know parts of the drawing together and uh, kind of walk them through it. So uh, there's there's that one for the portrait drawing class, then for landscape painting, you know, same thing. We have a, a reference photo we're gonna be using, which is, uh, you know, a nice nature scene of a mountain and some trees and some water. And uh, I'll just take them through the process of doing the layout, also known as the composition, if you wanna look at it that way, and uh, putting everything in where it needs to go before you block in the colors and some things to look out for that you want to avoid and other things you want to do that are a good idea to make a nice looking landscape painting. That'll be nice and strong when it dries. Uh, those are going to be coming up. Um, just check the dates, December 4th for landscape painting class and then December 5th for portrait drawing. And then I have other, you know, regularly we just do uh, more, more lessons. If somebody hears this uh, past December 4th, 2021, you know, I just regularly have classes that just are happening from time to time. And you can see that uh, the schedule for that on my website. Um, like I was saying before, the event painting site, um, you don't really update that anymore because I'm not really doing the event paintings uh, as much, but just my website, anthonygalati.com, uh, has all the lessons listed on there that are happening at the moment. So that's a current place to check for that. So you should go there and sign up. Just saying. It's worth your money. I, I, yeah, I may. Maybe not this one, but oh yeah, oh great, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in just uh, you know kind of kind of exploring that because I've never in any formal way have I ever done that. 
Oh, well, it'd be really cool to have you there. Yeah, and it's really artists tend to be really you know cool, like nice people. You know, sometimes people are kind of like interested, but they're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm good enough for that, and like I don't know if I should, you know, try to do a class with other people because I'm going to be the worst one. But you know, in lots of cases, probably a lot of other people are going to be thinking the same thing. You know, so anybody that's interested, it's really you're just you know drawing and painting. It's not like a big serious thing to get stressed out about. You know, hopefully it's enjoyable. A lot of people like to do it just to relieve stress or kind of just like chill. You know, I have a couple of students that are like uh, their jobs are pretty intense and they've said like this is the only time they really just let their minds kind of empty out. So it's really useful in that way. So, um, Tom, you had your hand up. No, no, I figured it out. I'll ask him offline. So uh, to, to piggyback on what Anthony was saying, it's not a competition when you're in a classroom with other people, not a competition. You're there to learn. So just expect that everybody's going to do bad or everybody's going to do good. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what do you get out of it? And uh, that's 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 life. Yeah, and even like I was saying before, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of other people that are event painters. And, you know, we're working for money. You know, we're each other's uh, competition, but we're still friendly with each other. And, you know, artists in general just tend to be that way. You know, it's usually more of a friendly environment in my experience, in most, most kind of situations. So there are other places where, you know, you might be in a group of people that are, you know, interested in a certain kind of thing. You're all doing the same type of work where it's much more cutthroat, but, you know, really art is usually kind of in the other direction. Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Anthony, do you have anything you want to say to wrap up the show? Well, it's been really nice uh, being on here as a guest, so thanks for having me on. You know, I love oil painting. I think whatever medium people do, if you're going to do some kind of art, it's best to do something that you love. Like I was saying, you know, just think about something that you really are interested in, that you care about. And if you're not good at it, you know, you can just learn. Like I was saying before, it, it takes time to get to be really good at, you know, painting or other kinds of art. And, you know, hopefully if you enjoy making it, even when you're not that great yet, then that's okay. You know, it takes takes time to get great. So that's true for anything. And if it's something that you really just love in general, then I, I encourage people to go ahead and do it because it's really great in lots of different ways and it can help you get through tough times, it can help you just feel happy or relaxed. You know, uh, it's almost like a lot of people say it's like a meditation when they're drawing or painting. You know, I think really a lot of problems in the world would be way better if a lot of people just still did creative things past the time that they're, you know, children. Well said. Well said. It's good advice. I agree. So everybody go take a class, mm. you know, at least one. Get your mind out of the gutter. Tom? I just um, just want to say again, um, my website, if anybody wants to go check out my website, it's just anthonygalati.com. So that's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-G-A-L-A-T-I.com. My Instagram is anthony underscore galati underscore art. And I try to post pretty regularly on my Instagram so you can see various things that I've done on there also. All right. We'll tag you on Instagram for people to click the links. Okay. Tom, do you have anything for short and sweet? Uh, Yes. I am obsessed with playing chess, nothing to do with making or this podcast or anybody. And if you want to get into it, go watch Gotham chess on YouTube. Uh, he is, he is a classic Twitch streaming gamer, but he plays chess. 
honestly, I play thousands. I've played thousands of games online this year, and it is just like mind opening. Like it just engages some part of my brain that allows me to just stay active and think. And uh, I do it like throughout the day. I'll play five minute games. I don't know if you're looking for something to like. It's totally a waste of time, but it's um, it's better than playing like Angry Birds or something. I would say. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Gotham Chess YouTube, go check it out. Sidebar, Tanda. Yeah. Does does Tom not realize that he shouted out the exact same person three episodes ago and said the exact same thing? I, I don't think he realizes it. No. It's, it's, see, this is what happens when he doesn't pay attention when we're recording. He says the same thing over like he's saying it for the first time. Well, no, I think it's because of the realism. I mean, Tom is – it's just like we're having a conversation and he does, the podcast recording can be on. It can be off. We can be just talking. He can be working in his garage by himself. It's all the same whether he's actually filming or recording a podcast. And that's that's why he may be, you know, like working on a 3D print or building something at his desk because uh, – you know, the the whole podcast thing is just kind of ancillary. Tom Tom's world just goes on whether we're in it or not. That's the sad truth. That's the sad truth. In fact, he won't even realize that we've had this five-minute sidebar. Probably uh, not. Just, yeah. yeah, probably not. Oh, oh, look, it looks like you just checkmated somebody. Tom, are, are you playing a game of chess right now while we're in the middle of the podcast? I'm sorry? Yeah, never mind. Uh, yeah, just a second. Hold on. Tanda, what was your question? I'm, I'm all, I'm all done. Never mind, here. Tom. We're moving on to Tanda. Tanda, do you have anything for short and sweet? Well, I actually, I'd like to just a shout out um, quickly that I thought of as Anthony was speaking about art being a, a way to just kind of, you know, deal with what's going on and to kind of have something that you can do that just kind of recenters you. And so I'd like to shout out Make It Soap. Ah, you stole it from me. You stole it on Instagram <laughs> or on YouTube. And so that's a, a good follow, and she's got a great story and certainly has used art to that end and, and talks a lot about it and is just a great person as well. The other thing I'd like to mention is just that, you know, you're listening to this as a podcast, but we're actually a Zoom call. And so this whole time I've been like, is this really PJ's brother? I mean, like, what, what are these simul- similarities <laughs> there or whatever? And then, then when I tried to... Uh, to pull off the whole decomposition thing. And I asked Anthony, so would that be like you were decomposing and he didn't play along at all? He just said, no, <laughs> I knew right that moment that he was in fact, PJ's brother, you know, because <laughs> that would have been the exact same thing that PJ would have done. He wouldn't have played along. He wouldn't have helped me out at all. He would have just said, no, <laughs> that is not at all like that. And so then I was like, yeah, yeah, he's definitely PJ's brother. So if you're talking specifically about Mummy Brown, the decomposition could be a real factor. <laughs> but that's the only case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, PJ, PJ, what do you have for short and sweet besides uh, shouting out uh, Sophie? Uh, well, I was trying to think of anybody in the art world that we know in the maker community. And of course, Make It Sof comes to mind. She does a lot of the little paintings of um, little like uh, slice of life paintings of different things that she sells and whatnot. She's been on the news for it. She's very talented. Uh, but I also wanted to shout out um, Mickey Makery, um, who's a friend of mine that she makes watercolor boxes. These are wood boxes that you put your watercolors in. They're really, really beautiful, very, very simple. They have uh, magnetic latches for you to take the tops off and put them on the bottom. Mickey, uh, Mickey and I were just talking yesterday 
um, just talking about her her work and everything that she's doing. So if you guys are into watercolor, go check out um, Mickey Makery on Instagram and uh, buy a little watercolor box from her. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I have been teasing this for quite some time. And by the time this episode comes out, I probably will have released it. So uh, I'm going to let the audio responses from everybody on here clue you guys into exactly what they're seeing. I've been working on top secret projects, 3D printed projects, which Tanda knows about. No one else has known. But on a Delta 14-inch bandsaw on the older models, there are four knobs that hold on two different covers. And these knobs are plastic, and they're just black and round. And a lot of times they get lost, and a lot of times they are broken because someone over-tightens them, and it pops the threaded rod through the front, so then they have a hole in them, which makes them look even worse. And so I decided to design luxury knobs for the bandsaws. Every couple years, the badges would change. And what I have done is I have started making the badges the face of the knob. So I have... Oh, wow. Nice. Well, now I can just see Tom's face. I mean, PJ, say something again. I'm going to keep talking the <laughs> loudest so that I'm on... He can't see your knob. Click on the Zoom where it'll do like the four pictures instead of just whoever's talking. Click on okay. the grid. All right. Now I can see it. That's well done. So... Now, I haven't seen the blue. I haven't seen the other colors. I've only seen the Delta colored one. Yeah, I mean, you so. showed me you showed me the cat and you showed me the, right. the red and black one. So these are all the same design. That's that's four of four different color versions of the same design. But then we run to these, which are that was Delta Rockwell. This is Delta Milwaukee. This is before Rockwell bought. And you see that's the gem red and that's regular red. So this is actually two different color choices of the same design. Uh, this I don't think exists. This is a Rockwell logo. I don't think that was ever on specifically the bandsaw. Real, real quick, I don't think these were properly described. Uh, they're knobs. They're knob-sized, and they are multicolored prints. So they are three-dimensional. They're like a, th a they're like a three D relief. Yes, but there's different yeah. color of filaments. Kind of like as a the relief yes. changes, yeah. like a medallion sort of. Yeah, but really well done. I'm impressed. They look great. Yeah, it looks really cool. I have one question. Yes. When you're tightening the knob, how do you get it to stop so that it's upright? Shims? Uh, you need shims. There's there's ways to do that, which I'm, I'm not going to go into. But I will say this. Uh, the original knobs are all plastic. The threads are plastic. I print these in two pieces, and I capture a metal nut inside, a stainless steel nut. So you're getting metal-on-metal metal contact. And then they're, they're super glued together so that everything stays captured and you don't have to worry about them coming apart. And it's completely seamless. So you can see that. It looks complete. Do they take a, do they take a spring like the old ones? Uh, the old ones didn't have springs. Oh, yes. Some of them did. You can, you can, you can put... Uh, now, there is behind the cover. Sometimes there was a spring washer and a regular washer. But on the front of the cover, it was just the knob. So and mm. and these will tighten. I've had somewhere there were springs in in the knob. You're you're thinking of the the handles for um, the table, where when you're taking the the four like they <gasps> look like the sink knobs. Oh, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Those okay. are the ones that attach Very to the good. trunnions, and they look like four posted yep, sink nope, knobs. You're 100. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a delta bandsaw in like 
I don't know, a while, like a year. I need one again. Well, well done. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, those look really cool. I would, I would say you could maybe even make something like that for another purpose also. Like if somebody's like really into those brands, they might want a little like necklace of it or make a thing that's like a, a button they could put on their jacket or something. There's going to be other products that come off of this, which I'm not going to talk about right now. I'm trying to just do one release at a time, but I am working mm-hmm. on multiple multicolor versions. Um, just just so you guys get color schemes, most of these are black, silver, and red, different colors of red, because that was Delta Rockwell's color scheme. But I've also got one that is black, blue, and gold. Uh, and I've got one that's black, silver, and blue. And there's going to be a couple different versions and color variations that are available. This is, to my knowledge, uh, an original product that's never been done before. And it'll be customizable to whatever year you have of vintage bandsaw. And in total, I should have around 12 different, maybe 14 different knobs that you can pick from for your bandsaw. And I will be doing uh, newer versions. uh, And by newer, I mean like from the 80s up into the 2000s later. But those bandsaws, the knobs on them are superficial. Like they don't actually thread on. They're just on there like a doorknob that you pull because those bandsaws are hinged. So those will be done later. And those use a much smaller um, threaded screw. And they're not... The logos on those machines were not as prominent. They didn't have, like, basically it was just the three triangles. There wasn't as much of a design. But anyway, this product should be out by the time you guys are hearing this podcast. And the knobs will be $25 each or a set of four for $90. And that's uh, plus shipping to wherever it is you live. So that's what I've been keeping under wraps. I know um, listening to it doesn't do it justice, but you can go to my Instagram right now and probably take a look at all the goodness. As always, I want to thank our top Patreon supporters, Creator Nader and our very own Tanda. No new Patreons this week. You can be the new Patreon next week if you hurry. And we're going to go do our secret segment now with Anthony. So if you want to hear what happens there, I know he's got an interesting story to tell us with uh, international implications. Uh, you've got to be a Patreon member to hear the secret segment. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.